Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf, and let me offer you all a very happy new year. <laughs> We're off to a great start this 2023, and um, I wish you and your families all the very best for this coming year, particularly when it comes, of course, to, to sports parenting. Now, in this morning's show, what I want to do is a, a review of the year just gone by and and to remind ourselves of what an exciting as well as a tumultuous year it has been uh, in terms of being both a sports parent as well as being a coach, educator, and of course a sports fan. And I'll, I'll get into this recap of 2022 shortly, but first up, you know, I, I, I do want to say something that because I, it, it's, it's at the very basis, at the very uh, foundation of sports parenting. And I, I just want to throw this into the mix for your consideration. I can't point to the, a particular date or year, but something changed monumentally with you sports. That is, there was a time not that long ago when parents' top priority with their kids playing sports was to simply enjoy and celebrate their youngster scoring a goal or getting a big hit or or making a basket or doing something well on their own in their sporting endeavors. And it all seems sort of far away and and distant now, but these events are the stuff of magical moments, not just for the youngster who, who suddenly feels that they have accomplished something in front that in front of their friends and families, but that the moment is carved indelibly into the memories of the parents who are overjoyed for their youngsters. It is a blissful moment. It is pure. It is simple. It is joyful. It reinforces to the youngster, the young athlete, that he or she is beginning to to master a skill, which means that builds a sense of self-confidence. And most of all, the moment is just filled with 100% fun and joy. I can vividly recall buried, burned into my, my memory bank, you know, watching my son score his first goal in soccer as a kid when he was five or six, or scoring his first uh, goal in an ice hockey game when he was a youngster, or watching my daughters, you know, score soccer goals or swim in their first uh, swimming meet, uh, and so on and so forth. I mean, that, those were wonderful moments, and I can vividly recall the, just the, the exuberance, the joy on their faces as they turned and looked at me and, and their mom and said, I did it, I did it, and which is just the essence of sports. It's the sense of, like, I worked at this, I practiced this, and now I did it. And to me, 
those are that's what sports are supposed to be all about. Yeah, I know, of course, we all eventually start thinking our kid's going to be the next superstar and get a college scholarship, all that nonsense. But when it begins, it's all about the fun and the joy and the passion that is built up inside them. They love that. And that's probably why kids today, and I'm sure we were the same way, we responded to coaches who offered praise. Kids love praise. I guess we all do. But we particularly love it when we did something right and smart as a youngster starting out in sports. But these days, in 2022 and now into 2023, those, those innocent moments of joy seem to be, have been relegated to a secondary importance. These days, it just seems that when a youngster shows you know, a smidgen of athletic ability, it's as though the moms and dads immediately start to sense that their child is somehow on the fast track to a possible professional contract with millions, or at the very least, a college athletic scholarship. In short, there's real money to be made. I mean, I got to tell you, I, I, I think that's, that's, that's a loss. And I, I, I think the magical moment of youth sports was all about pure fun, not about how do I get my kid onto the next elite travel team. And what's been squeezed out of this equation, sadly, yeah, the element to have fun has been, has been lost. So, so in short, something has changed over the last 20, 25, 30 years with youth sports because fun now seems like it's more and more like a low priority. It's one of, those, one of the main reasons why I sense that today's kids have become more focused and, and locked on to getting that scholarship rather than simply enjoying the ride. And as our, as our parental priorities have shifted in a different direction, I do worry that our next generation of athletes will begin to view playing sports, not about playing sports, but as more as a, as a job, as an obligation uh, that it's expected of them to keep pushing ahead rather than as a time of joyful fun. And again, when we reach that tipping point, and I'm afraid we probably will in the in not too distant future. Don't be surprised if more and more kids begin to just basically walk away from sports. And for me, and I'm sure for most of you, that will be a darn shame. Simple as that. Okay. Let's talk about the, what happened this past year on the sports edge in 2022. Uh, and I, I will tell you that um, the first thing I want to talk about is I get I can't even of all the questions I get over the in the course of the years of doing this show. People always ask me about, you know, their kid say, well, my kid is interested in sports psych. And how, how, Rick, how did you get, how did you find your way to getting on the air at WFAN? Well, let me provide you with a real quick overview of my own sort of unexpected career path. And in hopes that uh, perhaps my experiences might help provide some guidance to, to others who want to follow. So how do I get into sports psych? Well, you've heard me say over the years that when I was in college, it was long before the Internet had been invented, and I spent copious amounts of time in the various libraries at Harvard looking for books on sports psychology. But in truth, there really weren't any books on sports psychology. In fact, sports psych really hadn't been invented yet. A little, there was some sports psych in Europe, uh, mostly in East Germany, but for the most part, I just stayed and studied psychology as an undergraduate. I did find a professor uh, uh, who loved sports, and I focused on what happens to pro athletes uh, in my, my, my thesis, what happens to them when they retire from playing sports. Because I was lucky enough to have done some, some extensive interviews 
with the New York Knicks of 1972-73. Uh, and, you know, I, I went down to their training camp, and I wasn't interviewing them about basketball and what, what, what it meant to them. Rather, I was talking to these fellows about how they were preparing for life after sports, if they've given that any thought, because they all knew. And the Knicks, the, the, the championship Knicks of 73, these were all bright, bright guys. Guys like Walt Frazier and Willis Reed, Phil Jackson, Bill Bradley, they all had thought long and hard about what they would do next when their playing careers came to an end. I remember Bill Bradley in particular talked about, he, he called, the, called it the tunnel of narrowing perspectives for athletes, that as a pro athlete, you so, become so accustomed to having your, your teenage years, your adolescence, extended into your mid-20s and sometimes beyond. And he was right. That is, most teenage athletes, well, they come to the realization when they're 17 or 18 that, that yeah, maybe they'll, play, they'll try out to play in college, but at some point they're going to have to confront and decide what they want to do as a career choice. What is their identity? Who they want to be uh, in the years to come? Pro athletes, however, well, the lucky ones, <clears throat> guys like Bradley, they stay within that cocoon of an extended adolescence well into their 20s, and in doing so, their perspective on life's choices well, begins to sort of get tighter and narrower. Now, I can tell you that, I said, I, I wrote my, my uh, honors thesis about the sports psychology of athletes and how they prepared for life after sports. Uh, and then when I was lucky enough to become a pro ball player myself, I too was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. I thought about coaching college baseball, which I did. I was a head coach at Mercy uh, College for nine years. I was then approached by the Cleveland Indians to serve as their first ever roving sports psychology coach. And again, this was unprecedented because most, most pro teams, most colleges didn't have sports psychology coaches at the time. It just wasn't done. But again, I prepared for this because in addition to my, my undergrad degree in psych, I had written some articles, some books about sports psychology. I also got my master's uh, from Long Island University in, in psychology. And again, tilted it towards, uh, did my master's thesis about retirement and athletes. So all this began to sort of build a bit of a presence for me. Now I'm working for the Cleveland Indians uh, as their sports psychology coach, working with the big leaguers and, and with their minor league staff and the coaches. That led to being approached by Sports Illustrated to writing a, a column or two about youth sports because I had written a book about what, the, the, what was happening at the youth level and how it, become an, it was developing into a national epidemic where Obviously, parents were looking for answers to try to get their kid to the next level, and there was, it was just sort of like chaos. There was no direction at all, but there were a lot of unfortunate events involving parents and coaches and so on and so forth. So I wrote a column or two for Sports Illustrated, and the response was so overwhelming that uh, Sports Illustrated, uh, Larry Keith was my editor. Uh, he said, Rick, we got to keep doing this. And so I ended up writing articles on youth sports for SI for a decade. And towards the end of that decade, uh, I was talking one day with Mark Chernoff, the legendary uh, you know, a general manager, station manager at WFAN, who was, of course, a sports parent himself. And I was saying, you know, Mark, it might be something worth considering someday to have a radio show on the fan to talk about sports parenting issues. Because it's my belief that there are lots sports fans are very passionate about their teams, whether it's the Knicks or the Rangers or the Jets, Giants, Yankees, Mets. Makes no difference, but they are unbelievably passionate about their kid when their kid plays sports. And Mark, 
again, being a sports parent himself, couldn't have agreed more. And so, uh, sure enough, uh, we started to do the show. Started my first Sports Edge in February of 1998. <laughs> and now that I think of it, for those of you who are good at math, if I started the show in February 1998, that means, yes, I'm coming up on my 25th anniversary here on The Fan. Still talking about sports parenting issues and, and uh, quite truthfully, the issues and topics have only become more and more complicated over the years. So, again, these are, this is how, if you want to get involved in sports psychology, the truth is that there are more opportunities in sports psychology now than there were 30 years ago. I mean, sports psychology was not was just didn't exist uh, in terms of either getting a degree in it or, or trying to get a job in it. It just just didn't happen. But nowadays, because of the success of people like my mentor, uh, the late great Harvey Dorfman, uh, and 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 a few others, the fact is, yes, if you want to go into sports psychology, I would I think that's that's a great idea. But I do would advise you that yeah, you probably should have a undergraduate degree in psychology and at least a master's degree in psych, uh, which, again, I have both uh, the undergrad and master's in psych. Some years ago, I was actually seriously considering uh, getting a doctorate uh, in clinical psychology. Uh, again, there was no sports psych doctorate programs in those days. But honestly, I, I, and I was admitted to a couple of top uh, clinical psych programs, but I, I, in those days, I wasn't eager to go back to graduate school for four or five more years and take out a lot of student loans uh, because, quite frankly, back in those days, in the 80s, the job market was just wasn't good for, for PhDs in psychology. But now, I'm happy to you know say that times have changed. And if you're a son or daughter, if they're interested in sports psychology, I know a lot of you are, it just seems as though that every college in the country and every pro sports organization now has sports psychologists on staff. Uh, if you want to go, there are listings all over the place. Uh, just spend some time online, and you will find lots of job offerings. But again, make sure you do your homework. It'd be very helpful, particularly if you were able, if uh, English is your, your basic language. might be good to learn Spanish because so many athletes today, especially in college, the pro ranks uh, are, are Hispanic. But again, do your homework, but take it seriously because unlike 30 years ago, there are lots of jobs. <laughs> Maybe someday, you know, you'll, you'll uh, replace me here on the fan. Simple as that. Okay. Um, the bottom line is this. There, there are, I couldn't be more optimistic for those of you who want to get into the mental side of sports. And quite frankly, the time has come. And today's young athletes understand how important it is to not only prepare uh, their game physically, but also prepare their game mentally. And if you, you've read my book, The Secrets of Sports Psychology Revealed, you know exactly what I'm talking about. All right. A lot of things to cover this morning. Let me take a time out. When I return, we'll go back to the, the top stories of 2022. Stay with me. Back here on the Sports Edge. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, welcome to 2023. Okay, I had promised a recap of the top stories we cover on the Sports Edge from last year. And as you'll hear, you know, last year was just uh, extraordinary as to the scope of these topics and just how difficult it's becoming to be a sports parent in this day and age. Let me uh, begin with the far-reaching impact of name, likeness, and image, uh, NIL, uh, and how college and, quite frankly, high school athletes as well are now beginning to cash in. And this, quite frankly, is changing the landscape in so many ways of amateur sports. And, of course, the word amateur uh, is in quotation marks. I mean, it was just a year or so ago when the, the concept of a college 
or a high school athlete ever getting paid a single dime while they were student athletes was not only inconceivable, it would mean the immediate end of the kid's eligibility to ever play sports in high school or college ever again. It was that severe. I mean, you just didn't fool around with this. I mean, if the athletic director or a college coach uh, found out you were getting uh, you know, paid on the side or taking money, gone. You're gone. It, just, it, just, it was just not only uh, reprehensible and disgraceful, it just didn't happen. But, of course, that, that ancient NCAA rule has been overturned and tossed out. And now every athlete in the country is actively seeking financial endorsements from all over, not just in terms of autographs or making appearances, but obviously they can, you know, kids who have huge profiles, social media as influencers, and they have sponsors from lots, having lots and lots of followers. Yeah, they can get keep that money as well. I mean, it seems like, and it's become so routine now, it seems like every day we are reading how some top college athletes are landing six seven-figure deals for their name, likeness, or image for a corporate sponsor. I mean, the whole thing is just mind-boggling. And quite frankly, top college coaches are trying to figure out how to recruit kids who are already guaranteed major money deals. I mean, it, it's, it's, just, uh, it's just extraordinary. And on top of the NIL uh, sea change is the impact we're going through now with the transfer portal uh, where college athletes don't have to sit out a year, that they can transfer and play right away. I mean, you, you listen to any, any college basketball, football game on the air, invariably the, the commentator will say, oh, this kid transferred to this program from the other college last year, and so did his teammate, and so on and so forth. It's just like, uh, it's just a free-for-all. And, um, you know, the, the, the coaches I speak to, the college coaches I speak to tell me that, A, the transfer portal and NIL has had a unprecedented and tremendous impact on college sports, uh, and not necessarily for the better. And college coaches always prefer, and this is something that people have to bear in mind, they, college coaches always prefer to recruit veteran college players from the transfer portal rather than take a chance on a kid coming out of high school. And quite frankly, if I were a college coach today, I'd feel the same way. I mean, why, why should I... If I got a kid who's played somewhere at the Division One level and has some real stats to look at, he or she is a proven qu- uh, commodity as opposed to a kid who's come out of a top, maybe a top prospect out of a high school, but it's still high school. It's not college. And I, I tell you, the coaches today are scrambling because they don't know how to cope or how to figure out a way to recruit kids, especially in terms of NIL. Because the bottom line is nobody, including the NCAA, which obviously their power is beginning to fade more and more. Nobody has an answer on where this is going. And again, this is where I, I tell you, it'd be nice to have some, of, some sort of a commissioner at the federal level, maybe have a panel of experts of, of, uh, of youth sports who basically would take the spot of the, uh, of the NCAA and say, okay, here's what we're going to do in terms of NIL. Who are the new guidelines? Who are the rules? Right now, it's pretty much left to, up to the individual university to decide what they want to do, and the college coaches and the boosters and the alumni can pretty much do what they want if they want to get a kid to go to the college because the kid's going to be promised uh, a boatload of money. If your kid is a high school athlete, you know, sophomore, junior, senior, and they do want to go on to play in college, and they're realizing they're looking at how difficult it is to get recruited because of, of the transfer portal 
and the kids getting an extra year to play because of the pandemic and so on and so forth. Wow. I mean, you have to really be able to sit down with your youngster and really figure out what college coaches and what programs they really think they have a shot at playing for because it's it's just, it, again, I've often used the term the wild, wild west. It is absolutely true. It is a free-for-all. And um, it who, who ends up with the short end of the stick? More times than not, it's the high school kid. So this has all happened in 2022, and honestly, the time has come. If you're a parent, you got to sit down and figure this out and map it out uh, because, you know, uh, you're going to have to – I mean, a kid might go to a college, and again, he or she might be there in a school or a program. They think they were recruited. They didn't like it, and all of a sudden, they're in the transfer portal. And, geez, uh, I mean, transferring from one college to the next, it's still a hassle. you got to make sure you have the right classes. you got to make new roommates. you got to do the – moving the furniture and stuff, it's its a hassle. So just be aware, it's not as simple as just saying, okay, I'll go from here to there and just open a door and here I've transferred. It's its its a hassle for a lot of a lot of reasons. All right, next topic we covered in 2022, and that has to the endless debate about whether transgender athletes in high school and college, uh, we had all sorts of debate about UPenn's star champion swimmer, Leah Thomas, and whether her championships and her records at Penn should be fully recognized, and they are, uh, because Leah had been a man previously and had transitioned into being a female. Now, as it turned out, again, I just want to emphasize this, her accomplishments this past year as a female swimmer have been recognized. They're legit. But the issue of transgender rights continues to rage on. And, you know, some states uh, in our nation, they still have laws and insist that one's right to compete in sports Uh, at the high school level or college level depends on what gender they were born with. So if you were born as a girl, well, even if you transition to being a guy, you still have to be, when you compete, you have to compete as a girl. If you were born a male, then even though you you underwent a transition to a female, you must still compete as a male. In contrast, there are other states that take the opposite approach and say that in high school, you can compete according to whatever gender you currently identify with. Now, this, this, is, this gets very, very complicated, as you can tell, and it, every state seems to have its own rules and regulations. Um, nobody really seems to have a real definitive n- a number as to how many athletes are affected by this. But again, there are enough, obviously, where people are bringing lawsuits and state legislatures are dealing with this. But again, uh, and the NCAA is obviously aware of this, and they have some pretty, they're going through, they've writ- unwritten or changed some of their laws and and modified some of their restrictions about uh, transgender competitors. I do recall, and so the upshot of this debate on the show, is that we came up with an idea that perhaps the time had come to allow for a third category uh, of of athletes, that is, those athletes who don't conform to traditional male or female uh, genders, that they can compete in their own separate category. Now, at first, that, that idea didn't seem to carry much weight, because it sounds so radical, and it is. But I get the sense that this third category idea is receiving more and more serious consideration. I mean, I will tell you that uh, this, is, this is a hot-button issue. Uh, we know that uh, for a lot of people. I've spoken to a lot of sports parents who have told me in confidence that they are uh, vehemently opposed to having their natural-born daughter having to compete against a tra- transitioned female. They just think it's fair. Because especially if the female, like Aaliyah Thomas, has already gone through uh, the benefits of adolescence, is now she's like uh, six foot or six six foot one. She's tall and she has long, lean muscles, which she got 
when she was obviously a male before she transitioned. A lot of parents don't think that's fair. And, and uh, you know, I, I, again, I understand the reluctance to want to talk about this uh, in public because they think it makes them into somehow uh, a negative kind of individual. But the fact is they, that there is that kind of sentiment out there. So that's a story we will obviously watch because I don't think the transgender debate is over. And we will see how this plays out uh, in 2023 and beyond. Okay, moving on. One of the most uh, disappointing stories of 2022 was the inexplicable racist outburst that occurred at a high school boys basketball game between Nyack High School and Pearl River High School. It was acknowledged uh, by all sorts of members of the media and by fans that during this game, which was played at Pearl River High School in their gymnasium, that whenever a black Nyack player went to shoot a free throw, he was greeted by monkey and ape sounds emanating from the stands. Now, even more astounding is that no one at the game, when this went on, intervened to stop this. None of the, the security guards at Pearl River, none of the coaches, no parents, no one. It, it, was, it, was, it was just unbelievable. There were also reports of other similar racist incidents involving Pearl River athletes at other basketball games and also at a track meet. So when all this sort of became public knowledge, it was we we're all waiting to see what Pearl River would do, the you know the, the school board, the superintendent, the school district, what they would do to to basically, you know, obviously they had to be embarrassed to death by all this, and what they would do to try to change and set the record straight. But apparently, from what I could tell, they didn't do much at all in terms of trying to educate their student body as to why this kind of racist behavior is unacceptable and intolerable in 2022. I mean, I, I thought this was a real golden opportunity for a major life lesson, a real teaching moment for that school district. But from what I can tell, that moment has come and gone, and there really wasn't any accountability. Nobody was held accountable. It was just really kind of bizarre. And I, again, I, it's just, we live in difficult times. I understand that. But when some kind of thing happens like this, and I'm not trying to, to paint a the fine people in Pearl River, because there, there are lots and lots of people there who are who are outraged by this. But unfortunately, at the end of the day, nothing seemed to have been, took place. It just sort of like, oh my gosh, that's terrible. Let's move on with our lives and that's it. Huh, I don't know. That's that, that was disappointing, to say the least. All right, next topic. Friends, if you're a baseball fan, you know there are alarm bells going off that our national pastime is quickly fading away. Over the last 20 years, both attendance at Major League Baseball games and the TV ratings continue to plummet each year. And Little League Baseball, by the way, is having the same problem. Their numbers of enrolled players have been dropping as well. So it turns out, if you do some quick studies of this, it turns out that when it comes to baseball, the only sort of real hardcore fans of the game today are people in their mid-50s and older. It's just, it's just hard to believe that baseball has reached a point where it's just, as I say, it's fading away in terms of popularity, particularly with the younger crowd. Even worse, the analytics guys in the last couple of years have convinced that the baseball owners that the only way to win, ba- win games is to have a very set formula. A, sign a bunch of guys who swing for the fences all the time and don't worry about striking out all the time. B, have a pitching staff of guys who throw 95 miles per hour. And C, have your infielders basically defend 
uh, against hitters with radical shifts. Well, we know that's going to go away next year, but having guys who just swing for the fences with hitting less than 200 and striking out all the time and guys who just throw hard throwers, you know, this is makes for unbelievably boring, brutal baseball. It's chock full of endless strikeouts. No one can bunt. No one can steal a base. Tell you, something's going to have to change and change immediately or else baseball will be long forgotten as a major sport within a few years. I mean, I, I talked a few times this past year in 2022 about a grassroots movement which continues to grow called Save the Game. It's now been renamed as Grow the Game, but it's still the same message. we got to get back to kids being taught the right way to play baseball because most kids today could care less about the game. And I really do hope and pray that the owners finally do wake up and recognize and realize that the so-called glory days of Major League Baseball may be over, and maybe be over very quickly. I mean, it's as simple as that. I, 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 I just don't think the game of baseball, we know that all sports go through all sorts of changes and permutations over the years, but right now baseball is at a critical divide, and if um, you don't start getting kids to be taught the right way on how to hit, not necessarily for home runs, but how to put the ball in play, how to steal bases, how to bunt, how to hit and run, how to play defense, how to throw strikes and throw strikes in a hurry. I mean, this is what has to be done. It's like you have to totally reinvent the game if you want any kind of uh, impact at all on the future generations. And friends, it's got to happen. All right, let me, let me take a time out here. We're talking about the important stories of 2022 that we cover on the Sports Edge. When I return, I have more to cover. Stay with me. Hey, back here on the Sports Edge. Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to 2023. Don't forget, you can always follow me on Twitter at AskCoachWolf. Get a preview of my upcoming shows. And, of course, you can find out more information, more resources, more of my books, everything else at my website at AskCoachWolf.com. We're talking this morning about the biggest shows, the biggest issues of 2022 as we prepare for 2023. Sports parenting has gotten more complicated. We know that. And one of the most important issues we talked about a few times last year was, parents, you have to explain the, the impact uh, and the peril of social media uh, to your kids. When you buy your kid a cell phone, and I don't know what the right age is. I don't know if it's 10 or 12, whatever time age might be. That's up to you. But when you give them a phone, first lesson is you must explain to them about social media and explain to them that they have to be learned that they were going to be held accountable and responsible whatever they post on on any social media outlet. Now, they're going to say, yeah, yeah, sure, Mom, I get that, Dad, I understand. But they're not, because kids today, they don't understand that, that putting stuff out on Twitter or on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, TikTok, that has a permanent and wide-ranging impact, and it's going to portray them in a way that they may not want to be portrayed. Remember, you know, this is kids today are kids. Teenagers make a lot of mistakes. But you have to be there to try to explain to them right from the get-go that you understand you have to think twice, maybe even three times before you post something. You may think that's funny. You may think it's humorous. You may think your friends will appreciate it. But the impact of what you post may have all sorts of unbelievably detrimental impacts upon you and your, the, your personality and your profile. And I, it's not, this is not a one-time lesson, friends. You've got to talk to your kids all the time about this to make sure they understand. And if you want to, if you can, if they'll allow you to, to follow them online and make sure they're not posting, you know, terrible mistakes, then do it. But this is important stuff. Again, 
We didn't grow up with social media, uh, but kids are today, and for them it's as, as routine as possible. But again, you have to make sure they understand that when something's read or seen online or you know, in the, in the uh, Twitterverse, they got to understand this is this something that could have a real come back and bite them in a bad way. All right, so that's that's social media. We're going to see obviously social media continues to you know carry on. We'll see other mistakes and comments and things in the, in the years or months to come. Just always be on the same page with your kids and explain to them they got to think ahead before they put stuff out there. Okay, this past year we talked about a rather unusual. Uh, football coach case from Washington State where an assistant coach named Joe Kennedy uh, had gotten into the habit of um, basically having a prayer session at the end of each football game. Um, he made it clear that no players, nobody it was not mandatory. It wasn't something that kids had to go to. But uh, over the years at, uh, at, at this high school, at Bremerton High School, um, more and more kids began to feel that why should you go after the game to the center of the football field and join in the team prayer with, with Coach Kennedy? This got to the point where the parents in the school district, and again, it's a public high school, it's not a parochial school, a number of the parents began to get a sense that, hey, this is, this is a public school, and you know, even though the coach says he doesn't, nobody has to come pray with me, the kids began to sense that there, there was an expectation, some sort of pressure from the coaching staff that they should go and take part in this. So eventually the, the, the school district got involved. They, they tried to find other ways for the coach to say, couldn't you do your, your prayer session perhaps in, in private? Can you do it like in, in a locker room uh, you know, away from the team after the game? And the coach said, no, I, I, this is my, my freedom of religion. This is my freedom of speech. This is important to me, and I'm not telling kids they have to come and, and take part in this. That's up to them. The whole thing ended up going to the Supreme Court, and the United States Supreme Court decided that, uh, well, they ruled in, in Coach Kennedy's favor. They basically dis- dismissed that there were any concerns of any pressure on the kids to come and take part in the, uh, the prayer after, uh, after the games, and they did feel the coach was just exercising his right of freedom of speech and his right to pray. So this is now into uh, the whole question about separation of church and state, and I don't want to get into a lecture about constitutional law because, quite frankly, I'm not qualified to do that. But this was sort of an interesting situation. And, you know, you might see some situations down the road here if your kid's playing even at a public school or, or you know, other, uh, in, a, in a travel or club team, there might be some situation of prayers. Just be aware you might want to have a talk with your son or daughter about the power of prayer and what this means in terms of do they have to participate and so on and so forth. But again, it's just something that was so so um, noteworthy and, and obviously went all the way to the United States Supreme Court on this case I thought uh, was worth talking about during 2022. All right. Speaking of high school coaches, we, uh, you know, the fact is we've reached a point now where we talk all the time about there's the, such a decline about uh, verbal abuse that our high school referees, umpires, and, um, and officials are, are taking from the stands, from the sidelines, from out-of-control parents at the kids' games that we've seen this, this tremendous drop-off and have for some time where we're just losing referees and officials. They just don't want to go through the verbal abuse anymore just to basically make a hundred bucks or so to work a, a kid's game. So they're not only they leaving, they're, they're not being replaced. And as the, the, the old guard is now in their 60s uh, referees and officials, and they're beginning to retire. 
we're, we're running into a real, real problem here. I'll, I'll come back to this in a few seconds, but I do want to talk about the fact that we see now some overlap from the coaches themselves where the parents who are, the, who are really, unfortunately, not all the parents, obviously, but there's a handful who have become so obnoxious and so out of control that they, they feel no problem. They have no concern about getting in the face, uh, into, a, into the high school varsity coach's uh, face after a game. They can complain bitterly about their kids' lack of playing time, or they complain about the coaching strategy, whatever it might be. But uh, it's gotten to the point now where we're now seeing more and more high school coaches saying, you know what, I quit. I'm not doing this. You know, guys don't pay me enough to deal with that kind of abuse from parents who have no right and no reason to be uh, in, my, in, my, in my face uh, yelling and screaming at me. We had on the show a longtime high school boys basketball coach, Chris de Blasio. He came on and he said, look, I've been coaching for a long time, but I quit in midseason because, honestly, I could no longer stomach having parents get my face after a game to, to question my coaching strategies or why their kid didn't play more in the game or, or so on and so forth. And, honestly, Coach de Blasio always admired his courage to, to stand up and say, this is nuts, I'm not doing this. He's a well-respected coach. He's a veteran coach. And I understand that after he left uh, Saddlebrook High School, he got another job someplace else because in, in the coaching fraternity, he's known as a good coach. But the parents there just were, at, at, you know, at, at Saddlebrook just basically lost a coach because they, they had no understanding that you just can't do that to, to coaches. It's, you know, the same way you can't, <clears throat> you can't go up to um, your kid's teacher after the kids take a test or get a, a not a great report card and scream and yell at the teacher, it's just not done. The, the whole idea of civility in our school system seems just to have disappeared in thin air, and and it's just it's just inexplicable. Whether the parents are just can't control their emotions, they don't they can't they can't seem to understand that this is not an opportunity. You have no right uh, to to go and do this, and uh, you know this to me. And we talked about this a lot this past year. We've now entered the age of sports parenting entitlement. How many times have I mentioned cases from the Sports Edge police blotter in 2022 where a parent, you know, charged the field to, to beat up an umpire or waited for a referee in the parking lot to unload on them or is noted to get in the face of a high school coach because of the kid's lack of playing time? This has become, this kind of action has become so routine that in many cases it doesn't make headlines anymore. And I always ask, why are school districts so, so forgiving of this, so lenient? Just enforce zero tolerance. And maybe you don't agree with me about that, but you know, in my mind, if you're an adult and you want to you, you, you basically go watch your kid play sports, well, you have to understand that you are the adult, and, and when you go to watch your kid play in a game, you know, that doesn't give you the right as a member of the community or as a taxpayer or as a kid's father or mother, you have no right to, to go and, and make yourself obnoxious and to use profanity and to threaten referees or umpires. My way of thinking, just, make it, just make it very clear before the game starts, we have a zero-tolerance policy here. You can paste that app uh, and signs in the gym or on the baseball diamond or on the football field or soccer field, whatever, hockey rink. And if you can't control yourself, we're not going to give you a warning. You're going to be arrested, and we're going to have the cops come and just take you away. You're going to be prosecuted. And above all, this is what really will hurt the sports parent. You will be banned 
from watching any more of your kids' games for the rest of the year on the high school. Does that sound outrageous? Does that sound unfair? Well, I don't, I don't understand any other way we can stop this kind of obnoxious and unlawful behavior. And quite frankly, I, I think it's just wrong. Um, and it makes every other parent in the stands who is behaving themselves feel awkward as well because, you know, it's just like, why, why do you do this? Why do you have to be so loud? Why do you, why do you have to be so, so terrible about this? Just understand that, you know, your kid's playing the game. It's, it's a matter of some ups and downs. And quite frankly, bad calls are part of the game. And, you know, it, it's as simple as that. I mean, I, I just don't understand why, why parents don't understand that and why they aren't basically prosecuted. Um, you don't have to have a situation where you have a, you know, a, a, a sort of an increasing kind of like, well, we give you a warning. The second time we give you a stronger warning. No, just make it clear that we're not going to do this. We're not going to tolerate this. And I would also make it very clear if there's a history in your school district of, of uh, this kind of behavior, make sure that there are security guards, professional security guards who are at the game and are monitoring all this, who can basically escort a parent out or get a local police officer or two. I mean, it's as simple as that. You just, you, I mean, what's the alternative? Well, we can always just play games and just clear the gym and, and play kids play, play in front of nobody. That's eh, not an answer. Kids want to play in front of their friends and their family, but only if they're behaving. All right. I mean, I just, you can hear I get angry about this. I also got angry about a, a story that happened in August in an important regional championship Little League baseball game ended with a call that disrupted the outcome of the game. And, and uh, you remember this. This is Washington State and Oregon were playing in a tie game. The winner goes on to Williamsport. And it was an extra innings in this tie game. There was a bounding ground ball that was hit that went over third base. The third base umpire, who was literally about five or feet feet behind third base, he immediately raised his hands to signal that the ball was foul. Foul ball. And with that, the team in the field, Oregon, well, the kids relaxed and they didn't chase the ball, which went down the left field line, because after all, it was just called foul. The team at bat, Washington State, well, the coach, the third base coach, kept telling the kid who was on first base at the time, just keep rounding the bases as if the ball were fair. Well, instant replay showed that the third base umpire, as I mentioned, signaled the ball was foul. But later on, the home plate umpire conferred with the powers that be in Williamsport. They decided the ball was indeed fair, despite the third base umpire's ruling during the course of the game. I happened to be watching this game, and I thought this was totally outrageous. Literally could have ruled that a mistake had been made, that the two teams should just pick up with the game with a foul ball, as the ball had been called foul. But by ruling it fair way after the fact, Little League showed no compassion for the Oregon kids. They had totally relied on the umpire's call, and it cost them a chance to perhaps go to Williamsport. Now, later that evening, the Oregon coach tried to appeal, appeal, uh, but Little League baseball was firm. No change. We ruled out it was a fair ball. The third base umpire was uh, mistaken. (laughs) In my opinion, when you have the chance to do the right thing in sports, you should always do it especially when there are kids involved. And as you can tell, I'm, I'm, I'm still angry about this because it, it didn't make any sense whatsoever. It, it's, you know, golly, I mean, it just, you got to do the right thing, Little League. And even though it may be difficult and have to go start from scratch and so on and so forth, or, or say we have to do a do-over, you're dealing with 12-year-old kids. Do a do-over. Do the right thing. Golly. All right. I Look, fact is, as always, 
we covered a tremendous number of topics uh, over the course of 2022. I mean, we talked about uh, everything from the Grambling women's volleyball coach when she decided that she just basically told when she came on board at Grambling, she told all the kids who were on the team, uh, none of your scholarships are going to be renewed. Don't even bother trying out for the team next year. I'm bringing in new talent. Well, it was such a callous way of doing this that there was such an outcry from the kids who were on the team that eventually uh, the Grambling Athletic Administration had to say, you know what, maybe this isn't the right place for you to be at Grambling. So she was let go. But again, this kind of stuff happens all the time. We've talked a lot, of course, over the course of the year about uh, mental health issues for student-athletes. Thank goodness that's finally coming to the, the forefront because athletes are people, as we all know. And thank goodness, if you have a kid who's struggling, you just remind them, teach them 988. That's the number they can call or text. It's open 24-7 because that is essential because, as we said, not only is sports parenting getting more complicated, but honestly, mental health for our athletes is getting more complicated. Okay. That's my summary of the top sports parenting issues and our issues for the year past. It was uh, full of ups and downs. And again, if you're a sports parent, I do hope you enjoy watching and encouraging your kid as they play sports just because it's fun. I will end by saying this. I absolutely loved playing sports when I was a kid. I loved it. It was what I dreamed about. But as I got older and got married and had kids of my own, all I can tell you is that as much as I loved playing sports, it was even more fun to watch my own kids play. My thanks to Ed Arzuma and to Pete Hoffman. NFL preview is next. Happy New Year, everybody. I'll talk to you next week right here on the Sports Edge. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app.